You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre. So, How did you survive the snowstorm? Uh, five hours of shoveling. Um, we got a full eight extra centimeters of snow in Hamilton than they did in, in Toronto. And um, uh, two days of, of being sore. And also, <laughs> just being the good neighbor that I am, my next door neighbor doesn't have a snow shovel, so I had to do their front and back. And I mean, the thing about Hamilton is um, it's a city of, of laneways. And if I want to get my car out, I have to shovel the laneway as well. Yeah, so uh, I know that we got, I think Niagara got hit the worst. Uh, we, there was a good bottle and a half of wine for anybody thinking about it, like a full, like a, think of a Bordeaux bottle. Um, you put it in the snow and uh, it would disappear and you could probably another, put another bottle in and get about halfway up. Well, there you go. So that was on my front lawn so- and my backyard. And then you have to send the dog out, right? So now you got to clean our way, clean, clear a laneway for the dog. How how did Stella appreciate the appreciate the snow? Uh, greyhounds are not really meant for snow. <laughs> she she uh, um, pretty much I caught, I carved her out a little laneway. She did and decided, oh, okay. Well, now I'm going to go into the gro- into the uh, into the backyard. Made it three leaps and then leapt all three back. Did not want anything to do with that shit. Henry does love the snow, but I, I took him out like we did our, our regular morning walk because it was pretty nice weather in spite of all the snow. And there were just a couple of spots where they hadn't been shoveled. And I just, I plowed through like, you know, I have dog walking clothes. So up to my knees, up to my thighs and snow, no big deal. I get home, they stoked, they change out of them. And the dog pulled back on the leash so hard where he just looked at me like, you're not serious, are you? But we, uh, we pushed ahead, we pushed ahead. Um, uh, my, the, the best one I saw though, was the, uh, the squirrel in my backyard that was just coasting on top of the snow. It was pretty oh, funny hilarious. to watch him. Um, we actually, um, there's something I saw in the Toronto star this week that, um, the article itself really irked you. Oh yeah. my God. I, uh, you know, usually it's me who gets angry, but you, you seemed angry. Uh, the, the article didn't irk me. It was just the, um, the caliber of, of journalism. So here we are, we're in month. 22 of the pandemic um you you know and i know that in order for many restaurants to survive they've had to change their business model from uh even offering takeout food to adding um take takeaway bottles so the i mean the word bottle shop is is fluently in in my regular lexicon i don't know about you michael i um i have to be honest uh i have not taken advantage of a bottle shop but i don't know of any here in st Catharines. I mean, or in it. Niagara. Although, although I do know of a few restaurants who, you know, when you look at their takeout menu, they say, you know, get that with a bottle of wine. So, well, and I just remember last year. I mean, this is this is what frustrated me about the about the the article. So, the Toronto Star wrote an article that was profiling, like, oh my god, there's a new business model in town, and and people have changed their minds. And it's just like, I just remember, at, and and I can throw them under the bus now because I no longer work there. But I remember last summer, News Talk 1010, the reporters were going out in the field to talk about how. Takeaway alcohol was a spectacular failure for the government because people weren't going to Jack Astor's or St. Louis to uh, take a bottle of Smirnoff home with them. Um, but I have on the phone with us or on Skype with us the owner of Archive, which is a, a fantastic wine bar, 909 Dundas Street West in uh, in Toronto. And um, 
I'm not sure if he would agree with the a the assessment that the bottle shop model is a spectacular failure, although far from perfect, um, or that this is like a, a a brand new shiny thing. And also, I mean, in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of journalism, the other thing that irked me about the article was uh, it was like the mandatory shout out to the grape witches. And this is no knocks against what uh, what Krista and uh, and her partner do sorry I, I've only met Krista and had a chance to taste with her a bunch of times it just it seems like the grape witches are sort of the token success story for bottle shops when there was a whole bunch of restaurants that made that quick uh, quick turnaround and even in terms of journalism and not lifestyle writing I felt like it was a pretty lazily written article so uh, you want to introduce the the um the uh, guest we have? Yeah, so that was a long-winded way of me trying to do that. Uh, hey, Josh, he's, how's he's got it going? a name. <laughs> Josh Cray hey, is the owner Thanks of Thanks for having show. me on. Um, go, go ahead, Andre. Give, him, give everybody his name. I already said it. You were just talking over me. It's it's Josh Correa, the owner of, of Archive. So there's the second intro yeah. so Michael could hear it. Okay, good. I guess I didn't hear that. So, Josh, my first question is um, uh, any relation to uh, Chick? Uh, I wish, because then I'd have more musical talent. Okay, got it. Perfect. <laughs> and no more questions for Michael? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, was... That, was, that was the only question I had written down. I don't know if... Uh... Uh, I mean, my dad listened to a lot of his music, but uh, no, no relation. I don't even know who... Ch that I know of. I don't even know who Chick Corea is, so I guess... Oh, my God. Please, Andre, <laughs> oh. get off. Okay. You, were, you, were a musical, uh, you were a music major, right? I was. Yeah, you better go look that up. Okay, he's, he's a great he's a great jazz musician. Oh, okay. I mean, I should that that's even worse because I studied jazz at university as well, so that's a big fail on my part. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I wanted to have have Josh on wasn't to um, take apart the article in the Star. Although, if I can throw one more dig at the Star, I guess this is what we should expect from the wine writing core at the Toronto Star, as you and I have mentioned many times on this podcast about the regular wine writer and the caliber of um, journalism. But I thought Josh would be a great person to um, speak to because he is one of the restaurants that has had to switch to bottle shop, then back to restaurant and then back to bottle shop. And I just, I had some questions about two years into the pandemic, whether or not we're seeing any permanent change or if it's too soon to tell. So I guess first off, Josh, how, how are things going with what is this lockdown three or lockdown four? Um, I, well, I mean, we really just, yeah, I mean, last year was so much lockdown that I don't know how many we had, but yeah, this is a lockdown again. Um, it's going okay. I mean, uh, you know, it definitely, uh, it, it can generate enough money for us to pay the rent and keep my, some of my staff on and stuff like that, which is good. Um, it's, you know, it's not, at least for us, it's not terribly, um, I don't know that it would be a business all in and of itself. I certainly like it as a, as an adjunct to my regular business. Like it's nice to be able to sell bottles to go. Someone comes in, has a glass of wine. Oh, I really like that. Can I find it anywhere? No, they're sold out at the, you know, the importers sold out or the wine agent sold out. You can't get it at the LCBO, but you can buy a bottle from me. Um, is a great great thing to be able to do. Um, I do think that some people people who have gone after it really hard. Um, you know, the grape witches had already been running lots of events and had, they've got their own import agency and they also have their own wine club and stuff. So I think for them where they've, they've sort of gone all in on that a little more, um, I think it could maybe be a business. Uh, it's still one with a fairly small margin. 
even with the, uh, you know, actually having a licensee discount now, and it's only 10%, but at least it's something, um, could make it a little, makes it more, a little more of a viable business, uh, than it was before. Um, but the margin is still pretty low on it. So it's, it's a numbers game, right? You gotta, you gotta be moving a lot of product to get that one to work. Um, when so you do you, do you work on a percentage markup or do you just flat fee it? Um, I, I have a combo. I do, I do a little combo. Uh, so I add in the tax and then I slap on 10 bucks. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's fairly reasonable. It definitely, you know, maybe sometimes a little less at the lower end. It's, uh, you know, the low end you is probably the hardest area to compete for it. Cause you know, if you're slapping on just a straight 10% margin on that, you know, you're only making, you might only make a buck or two off a bottle. And then does that pay for the staffing? Does that pay for the rent? Does that pay for the delivery costs? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, again, maybe if you're moving a lot, a lot of wine, it would. But uh, you, you got to move a lot of wine then. So that's the Peely Island model. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, you know, like high volume businesses do work. It's also just, you know, even in Toronto, how how much is the wine market here how many actual shops that are moving that much volume is the wine market here going to be able to support? I would guess with our population, maybe five or six, but that's definitely not going to keep all restaurants open for not every restaurant is going to be able to turn into a bottle shop and have it work is basically what I'm saying that there just be, there's too many restaurants um, to, you know, to be able to move as much wine as you need to move. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yep. Uh, I'm just kind of curious at how you came to the number of like five or, or six. And like, are you just talking about the um, like the neighborhood of downtown Toronto, like the downtown core? Or are you talking about like Toronto, Toronto? Uh, well, sorry, I'm, I'm speaking of the old city of Toronto. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm not including uh, Etobicoke or North York or stuff like that. I think like you could. And that, I mean, that's that's really just a guess on my part. I don't I don't have any. That's my gut feeling on it. I don't I don't have any hard numbers to give you or anything or any other proof like that. Um, but I was thinking, you know, one uptown, one downtown, one in the east end, one in the west end. Maybe you can get away with two in the west end kind of thing, uh, where there seems to be a higher concentration of wine bars and wine drinkers and stuff like that. But um, just just looking at the amount that you have to move. I don't know if it can be a business all on its own. I think if you're combining that business with a coffee shop or with some to-go food or with some other revenue streams, then yes, it can work. And like for us, it's, it's a, you know, I'll, I'll never give up that revenue stream, but I'd really also like to be able to have my indoor dining revenue stream back at some point when society deems it safe and all that. Um, to, to make my business into a real business again. Interesting. Uh, uh, I, I mean, just in terms of, of I guess, I, I, okay, the next question I just want to ask is, is what does your, your average customer look like? Because I know for wine lovers and, and, and wine aficionados, especially in Toronto, the opportunity to support restaurants in this way by taking bottles home was something I know a lot of people were pretty excited about. Um, uh, what does your, your typical customer look like? 
I mean, I mean, we get a variety. We get some neighborhood people who are just stopping in and they want to support their local restaurants and they want to see us open again. So they're committed to coming and maybe paying a little bit more than they would at the LCBO for wine that is, you know, at least uh, I would argue is better than many of the selections at the LCBO, even at the vintages. Um, you know, I think it's been great for the consumer in, in that respect and that there's way more access to more wines than that, that they wouldn't have had access to unless they went directly to a wine agent and bought a case. Um, you know, it's definitely been good for them. Um, but then I also get a lot of, you know, I get, you know, uh, wine, uh, you know, quote unquote wine nerds, not to offend anybody. I'm a wine nerd too. Uh, but you know, wine nerds coming in looking for those special bottles, that they can't find other places um, and willing to pay, you know, more of a, and people who are already comfortable, you know, spending 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, a hundred bucks on wine. Um, and, you know, don't, don't blink at that because they, it has that, the wine has the, that value for them. Um, we also get those as well. Those, those sort of folks as well. And they're, they're more the ones who order online um, and stuff like that than necessarily walk in, but sometimes they'll walk in and peruse through our selection and grab a bunch of things and go. But then there's also a lot of people just grabbing, you know, the bottle for the night kind of thing. You know, this is the thing, this is what uh, upset me about the Toronto Star article was they were talking about this two years into the pandemic, like it was a brand new thing. But now I'm, I'm I guess the next question I have, which I think is going to be telling about the caliber of journalism, how many new customers do you see on like a month to month? basis i mean that's that's hard to say i don't i don't have it i have i haven't quanti i haven't kept track um but we definitely do see some i mean you know there's there's definitely new people finding us and or you know they're probably searching for specific wines and then they find out we have them and then they come by and get them and um so we do see some new customers doing it as well it's not just old regulars coming in to support us um, there, there are new people finding out about us because of it, which is, which is nice as well. And hopefully they'll come back when we're open fully again. Uh, but with, when the new customers come in to buy wine, do you, do you not, are you not seeing a situation where some of these customers are turning into regular customers or? Yeah. Oh yeah. Some of them, some of them will definitely turn into regular customers, especially once they, you know, they find out I, we had. We had a cellar that was built for the apocalypse, so um, you know there are there are many wines down there that you can't that are just sold out everywhere else. You can't get other places. Um, you know, I used to I used to buy wine and purposely not put it on the list for six months to a year because I thought it needed a little more age before it was quote unquote released. <laughs> um, so I I would do things like that. Uh, you know, not always the greatest business sense but i was doing it for the wine um <laughs> so uh you know definitely people who are into that kind of thing will come back again and again and again um so there are some new customers there's many people who are telling me how much they love it how much they you know they love being able to go and uh not so much that they love that we're closed or anything like that and having to be a bottle shop but they love the selection of wine that they now have access to um, that they didn't, they didn't, it wasn't as convenient for them to, uh, you know, get that wine before. Yeah, I'm definitely. So, so Josh, how many wines do you stock? Let's say, let's start there. Oh, 300 plus. Okay. And is it, is it 
uh, like readily accessible on your website or do people have to come in and peruse the shop? Um, some of it, the more high, uh, because, uh, you know, we had been a bottle shop and then we pivoted again, my least favorite word of the last two years, uh, we pivoted again to being a restaurant and then we went back to being a bottle shop. So right now online, I've got more of the high, the higher end stuff. Um, well, the stuff out on the shelves, um, in this latest iteration, we've brought up more of the more expensive stuff from the basement. But uh, when we were open as a restaurant, I was finding that most of the to-go sales were on the lower end of things, um, unless it was somebody who had a glass there and then wanted the bottle to go, in which case I was happy to run down to the basement to get it for them. Um, so it's some and some. And, you know, inventory control is a real thing that you have to do uh, to make sure that you don't sell something in the shop that you were supposed to only have online and sort of back and forth. And, you know, I'm, I've got a one POS system for the restaurant and another website for the online shop and making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm not selling out of things that I shouldn't sell out of or not updating the website properly. It's, it's all time. And then, uh, and then I guess it's not the, hard. But the, other, the other question I really had was because I remember when bottle shops first came in, you had to have uh, food. You had to have been buying uh, food to go with it, be it a bag of chips or a hot sauce or something like that. Is that still the case, or as a bottle shop now, you can just sell the the wine itself? I had someone the other day tell me that they had rescinded that, that you don't have to buy food to go. And then I went and looked at, because uh, when it first came out, I read through that, their single paragraph that they gave us. Uh, I read through it multiple times. Um, and so I went back to read it again. And my understanding of it is, is you still have to have food to go. Actually, it's been, it's been one of my um, there are many people. There are many people doing what constitutes food has never been defined. Mm -hmm. So there are many people doing uh, relatively small food items. I did hear of uh, one bar in Kensington Market. Uh, you know, you would have to buy a potato, like a raw potato, with all your purchases of alcohol, <laughs> and they were counting that as food. I know some people have been using candy. I know some people have been. Um, you know, using rel relatively inexpensive food items to go along with there, uh, to go along with the alcohol to go. I've heard of some people just, you buy, they throw in their food item at no cost um, or no extra cost other than on top of the bottle of wine. Um, but yeah, my understanding is there still has to be food to go. Yeah, I, I remember earlier in the pandemic, um, I ate many a little container of almonds, which is what your original food item was at archive yes i mean we've we've had almonds on the uh on the menu since the day we opened and uh, we've just provided a a small portion size for people who do not feel like all, all the extra calories but i mean but i mean at, at the risk of just making this sound like just a commercial for for archive and i mean i want to make yep. sure that we're giving you this shout out but one of the reasons that I, I got you on is i do feel like while you are saying very much you want to return to in-store in-store dining and having that revenue stream going and not becoming a full-time bottle shop one thing that has been impressive was i know you hate the word pivot was seeing how you took the opportunity of offering a food item and rather than just sticking with ritz crackers or raw potatoes or anything you know you've now got items i might actually want to eat like you've got a, a hot sauce that i've gone through a half dozen containers of and i think you've got it's it's because you've got your I, i'm I feel bad because I can never remember the name of your your chef, but the guy who puts together the 
the Ian. The, the stuff that Ian puts together at your at your place is always like just you know small little nibbly bites, and now people can take that home with them. So I I, I thought that was um, c- commendable rather than just sticking with Ritz crackers or something. So yeah, I mean we I we it it initially started because we they were a menu item and we had them on hand. Um, and that's how it's we started using them, and we've continued to use them because I don't know because I like them. And because I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't need to sell bags of processed food. I'd, I'd rather sell food that's, you know, stuff that we took raw ingredients and we made them into something you want to eat rather than, you know, a package of chips. But, uh, you know, everybody's just doing what they can to get by. And I'm not trying to hack on anybody else for whatever they choose to do. No, totally. But that's what we chose to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, like we were, we were always we were a wine bar. So we, it was always the wine is first and we, we always tried to have good food to go along with the wine, but it was definitely food to go along with wine as opposed to wine to go along with food. Um, so, you know, uh, a lot of the, we were already doing cured meats and we were already doing cheese boards and stuff like that. So transitioning that kind of stuff into, to go, uh, items and as well as canning some of the like the mustard or the hot sauce or the pickles that we make in house, um, you know, canning them, jarring them, um, seemed like a, the you know the right thing to do. At, at least for us, um, you know, everybody's going to do something different. But yeah, I, I I prefer I personally prefer non-processed food. Uh, it's about my only food dogmatism, but. Uh, so Diana, we've we've continued with that. So okay, we've got we've got Josh in Toronto, we've got myself in Hamilton, and we've got Michael in St. Catharines. So Michael, you yourself as a wine lover and aficionado have, have said that you either don't know of any bottle shops or you just haven't taken the time to to check out bottle shops in St. Catharines. Is 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 that correct? I, I know I know of one guy who was trying to start one in uh in St. Catharines. He, uh, he reached out to me, uh, did a little advertising on, uh, my website, uh, cause he was trying to, uh, get like a GoFundMe campaign going. Hang on. Is this the uh, guy? I think it's also, shop. it's also called archive. That sounds very familiar. Actually. Let me just take a quick, a quick look, but he's, he's trying to set up like in downtown in downtown St. Catharines, right? Yes. If I'm not mistaken. But I mean, it's not. Yeah, archive wine and, and spirits is. Uh, I think what he's looking. What he's looking to set up. What he's looking to set up. Um, okay. So, but apart from that, though, the the culture just like it just doesn't exist in St. Catharines. No, you know what? We have the local wine scene, right? Which it's it's always been, um, and you know this. It's been a little uh, uh, thorn in my side that the LCBO decided to you know put their destination store. For Ontario wine in the heart of wine country. It just didn't make sense to me. Why would you not put your destination store for Ontario wine in Toronto so that Torontonians could, you know, experience Ontario wine? Never made sense to me to put it down here. Um, uh, you know, as a wine lover, I drink all kinds of wine. Uh, so I'm not just strictly Ontario. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as the pandemic you know, started and continued, uh, a lot of our wineries saw a lot of uptick in, in people buying wine, uh, not only, you know, at the winery, but online. Uh, so, you know, we have, there's, there's almost like a fierce 
pride of being able to, you know, buy your wine local down here. And and I know I know in Hamilton, like we do have a, a really good handful of bottle shops, but they for the most part seem pretty clustered together on on James Street, like starting with Merritt going up the street to like Sunny Corner Bar and um, and Synonym. And it's kind of interesting to see how and then um, oh geez, I can't even remember the the neighborhood, but there's like the Duran bottle. We we have about a half dozen that are sort of higher profile in the city, and I know that um, Tage at Merritt Brewery and and the guys who run Merritt Brewery are are militant lovers of local wine are looking to expand the bottle shop program into into Hamilton. But I think my I think my only complaint about the bottle shop system in Hamilton is there is a bit of lack of diversity, almost like you know the local wineries that could be looking for placement on shelves are bypassing the shops and going straight to to Toronto. But um, I'm also not sure just how like mainstream it is here. And it it I, I think the challenge and Josh, you'll probably recognize this as a challenge as well. The challenge is getting affordable bottles um, that you can buy on like the everyday. Uh, you know, to go into a bottle shop and buy a $60 bottle of, of Sonoma Cab Sovet Martello like I did a few weeks ago is not something I can do every week, you know? Yeah, and I mean, most most people probably can't. I mean, uh, uh, just in... Uh, sorry, just uh, what Michael was saying there I thought was, was pretty right in that they should have put the Ontario store... Well, they should have had an Ontario store in Toronto and they should also have one in Ottawa. But, uh, you know... The how the LCBO makes decisions is not always uh, does not always seem to hold as much logic as I would like it to. <laughs> um, I, and I, yeah, I mean, if I lived in St. Catharines, I don't know if I'd go to a bottle shop either. I just drive to one of the many great local wineries there and pick up some wine, and then drive home, and you know, have it at home. Um, so uh, you know, it's. It seems a little short-sighted in in that respect to me, uh, but you know, what what can you do? I mean, if the LCBO was really good at the wine game, then there wouldn't be any room for all of us bottle shops anyway. So, I guess I should be happy that they're not always um, as forward-thinking. So, so with the change in the in the markup, I know you said it's a step in the in the right direction, but I think we've identified. I guess a problem on both sides from the consumer side, getting access to affordable wines and from the, the markup side, is there anything that you think needs to be changed to make, make people more aware of, of bottle shops and, and, and make, make that a destination for at the very least special occasion wines where you can get something outside of the LCBO. Um, I mean, Yes, I don't know how you'd necessarily, I mean, I don't know how you necessarily get that out there to more people. I think, you know, obviously, you know, people listening to this podcast might, you know, there might be some who are hearing about this for the first time and are going to go, I'm going to go try that. Um, but then again, I, I'd assume that most of the people listening to your podcast are already have an interest in wine and, you know, might know at least of a couple restaurants in their neighborhood who are doing this. Uh, you know, doing the bottle shop game. So I don't know how you get it out to the broader public. And I also think, you know, your point about not want, not a $60 wine, not being affordable on the daily um, is true for many people. And the LCBO is always going to win out at the low end, right? For that, for the 12 to $15 bottle of wine, you're probably going to find more options at an LCBO than you are at any bottle shop. 
I'm, I'm um, thinking- I think to make it a real business, I think we'd have to look at retail models for other other businesses and look at what kind of markups. You know, my understanding is is that most most other retail, um, and I've never been in a management position in other retail, so I don't know this really. But is at least thirty percent? They get at least a thirty percent markup, um, or a thirty. You know, thirty uh, percent. They buy the wholesale price is thirty percent less than the suggested retail price, kind of thing. Uh, uh, I don't think that's the way anymore. I think that's a very old model. Oh, okay. But I, but I mean. Like mar- there are some businesses that have margins that are like super tight. You know, yeah. I just know that from my my brother being in the the camera business. He says margins are extremely tight. So tight. Um, yeah. You know, even when I when I try to get a camera at his cost, I'm like, really? That's all I save? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, again, I don't I don't know about I know about selling wine. I don't know about anything. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, much like about the, the LCBO's got a got a pretty hefty markup, and it's and it's just what they do. You know what? Even if two buck Chuck ever came into Ontario, it would still be seven dollars, which is you know. Oh, it'd be uh, higher than uh, that, Michael. Who are we kidding? They they'd buy it at the wholesale price, which would be like seven dollars, and then put the markup on top of that. Two buck Chuck would be twenty buck Chuck in uh, in Canada. Well, so the um, yeah the LCB and and look the the model for the way Ontario should be going. And I, and I, and I think uh, Josh is correct is that leave the LCBO with the, with the low end stuff. And, and look, they're, they are going to be the ones that bring in the, 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 the high end and Bordeaux. That's just, that's just the way it's, it's going to be. But, um, the, the, uh, the, the best bottle shop I understood in Vancouver was actually right across from one of the, the largest, uh, uh, government shops in bc i can't remember lbd or whatever the heck they are and what the way she had set up her uh shop was to nothing that the 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 monopoly had uh you know small um small producers um you know really good wines blah 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 everybody thought oh you're gonna blow your brains out because you're right across the road but she thrived because you know if you couldn't get it there and you were looking for a cheap bottle head over there but if you want a good bottle of wine and, and something that you're not going to get anywhere else, come to see me and she thrived. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely think that's probably the way, you know, that's definitely what I've seen in our sales um, is that, you know, some, some of the low end stuff sells, but really what's, what's, uh, what sells more is the higher end stuff that, you know, yeah, you're not going to make your money off of Kendall Jackson. No, no. And it's, it'd be very hard to, right. That was my point about it. Like, even if you're trying to, you know, how much, how much can you put on top of there really on, on top of a bottle of Kendall Jackson or something and still expect someone to buy it? Well, correct. Yeah. Um, when they can go to the LCBO and get it just as, just as easily and, and at yeah. what the LCBO is going to charge for it. Yeah. And the reason they're buying that wine is, you know, I mean, maybe they really love the taste of Kendall Jackson, um, and good for them, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they're probably buying it on price point more than they are on any, any of the other metrics that you would buy wine for. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe the other question then for you, for you, Josh, because I mean, you, you're not dogmatic about selling natural wines, but you do, you do need. I know you particularly want and demand transparency in the winemaking process before a bottle will pass the the threshold of your store. Are there a lot of great wines, or is it, are there any great wines at that fifteen to twenty dollar price point where you could mark it up to thirty dollars and your shop could become my regular and I could bypass the LCBO? Um, I mean, there, there are definitely some, 
there there are not tons and tons and you know it's definitely talking to my wine agent friends that's definitely what they're seeing move the most is is that lower price stuff that people can put a little markup on and still sell at a relatively low price um i mean is there room yes i think there is room for it but i think you have to you know Again, the places that I've seen that seem to be making a real business out of the bottle shop thing um, are doing that, but they're also selling a lot of bottles, right? um, Yeah. And and Michael, I guess my next question for you then before we wrap up, because uh, I I know like per past episodes of the the podcast, I'm maybe just spending too much money on wine because I don't mind spending that $50, $60 once in a while where you are very, very much still the budget-oriented consumer what needs to change for bottle shops to become your regular apart from the fact that they need to exist in St. Catharines, but what, what needs to, what needs to be done to, 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 to convince you that this bottle shop culture is something you want to be a part of? Well, I, I look, I'm not against bottle shop culture. I've always, I've always been for, um, you know, allowing a free market. Fair, uh, fair. And, and I guess, I, just enterprises. To, I guess I just need to clarify my question too, is Michael has never been an opponent of, bottle shops michael you're definitely on board with uh definitely on board with with the free market but i know as a budget-minded consumer the price point at most bottle shops is a little high for you to go and shop there on the regular well i i guess you know i i'm i like a good 20 dollar bottle of wine if a uh, 25 bottle 25 dollar maybe 30 at, at at my top end um so i i guess you know what i would be looking for is uh, you know a bottle shop that goes through that complete range, and um, you know obviously they're going to have the high end. They, they they should you know Josh does not have a lot of low end, but he did say he does you know have have a little bit. Um, you know when I when I shop in the in the U.S., I'm always looking for you know great value. Um, so you just I think what you're looking for is value, and you know with Josh having 300 bottles, I have to believe he's got some stuff in the 20 to $30 range that I'd be very interested in. Josh, do you? Uh, yes, 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 I do. Yeah, and it's, and it's definitely, I mean, to be, that's, that's most of what I've ordered in the last two years is stuff that will fit into that category. Definitely the, you know, I bought some higher end things to, to continue on, you know, so that I can build my verticals and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of my spending has been done on, on bottles that are going to come out in that 20 to $30 range. Cause that's, that's the sweet spot that people are, I, I think, willing to pay. I, I would agree, especially, and again, especially for the walk-in customers, especially for the casual person walking by neighborhood folks who just want a bottle of wine for their, you know, pizza night or whatever. Um, that's, that's what they're looking for. And I, and I would, and I would believe that somebody like Josh, one, would have tasted the wines that he is, is buying, uh, and two, um, being that he is closer than, say, your average LCBO employee, who, who I understand they don't even get to taste the wines anymore, um, you know, you, you can actually go, hey, Josh, what do you think of this? What's so good about it? Why did you bring it in? And he'd be able to give you that personalized service that an LCBO employee has no friggin' idea what this year's version of Kendall Jackson Chardonnay tastes like. Uh, I love that you just had to take take an opportunity to wrapping up to take one more dig at the LCBO, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> did did different vintages of Kendall Jackson taste different? And there's Actually, one from Josh. <laughs> Surprisingly, sometimes they do. 
Oh, okay. I, I I don't have a lot of experience with them, but just, all right, all right. Just as we're getting to the we're getting to the long point of the podcast, let's give everyone a chance to, to wrap up. First off, uh, Josh, is there anything going on at Archive that you uh, would like to mention or promote, or how do people find you? Uh, um, on Instagram, well, pretty much all over the internet at uh, at archive nine oh nine dot com. Well, there we go. You know, either put the at or the www in front of it, and you'll find us. <laughs> Michael, do you want to go next or am I next? No, you're always next. All right, I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca, and uh, Josh, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and, and to talk a little bit about, about bottle, sh- bottle shop culture, and hopefully we'll see as things um, start to reopen and this becomes a more permanent part of the fabric of society, some more places that um, can make a go at it full-time, although... I'd be very disappointed if um, if in-store dining ever permanently went away from your place because it's a fantastic wine bar that I've written about a few times. Not as nice. often well, as... Not as often thank as... you very much for having me on. Uh, Michael, go ahead. Oh, is it my turn? Yes. Jeez, Andre, I thought you were just going to keep waxing poetic. It's a good you're bar. You're done, right? It's a good bar. I, I didn't say it wasn't. I've been in myself. <laughs> I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. You can find me on social media as The Grape Guy. Sometimes it's Michael Pincus. I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Josh Chick Correa. <laughs> uh, obviously, Andre for setting up this uh, uh, interview. And as always, stay safe. Um, I hope you all dug out of the snow. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.